Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today I'm speaking with Jessie Harold. She is a mother, writer, women's mentor, and doula, and she's the founder of Mothershift, a program to support women through the identity shift of motherhood. And she actually reached out to me, and sometimes I, I take these seriously. Sometimes I'm like, oh, not quite the connection, but as soon as I started looking at Jessie's information and website, I immediately connected, and I thought, yes, we need to talk, and I'm so glad we did. So Jessie talks about the eight specific parts of mothershift in these gates of transition. She goes into what each part means and the process or experience she offers new mother support through. I think you're really going to enjoy her perspective. And if you're in the middle of this shift through motherhood, I think it's going to give you some insight and I hope support. It's a great conversation. Jessie's a wonderful, wonderful person. Her community is very lucky to have her. And speaking of community, big announcement for the PYC community is we are moving locations. Huge deal for us. So we've been at the same location for 17 years. We've been in about, and I might be generous with this amount, 650 square feet, maybe, maybe not even that. And we offer classes seven days a week. We do prenatals every single day. We offer postnatal baby and me childbirth education, caring for newborn, breastfeeding support, new mom support circles, and more and more and more. And it's amazing what we do in our small space. And so we have the opportunity to move to a bigger space than we are. With that transition, and those that know New York, it's not cheap. We started an iFund Women's crowdfunding campaign to help us transition to our new space. So if this is something you wish to support us through, I encourage you, in fact, I ask you humbly to make a donation to our crowdfunding campaign to help us with this transition. You can check out ifundwomen.com forward slash projects forward slash changing dash lives dash one dash birth dash time. You can also just go to our website, prenatalyogacenter.com and you will see it on the homepage and you can just click the banner and you can get right there. Last thing before we jump in, um, teacher trainings. I've been talking about a lot. I'm thrilled that the New York teacher training is full. We're going to be again, for those that want to study with myself and Caprice, uh, we're going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina in the fall, Washington, D.C. in the winter, um, back to New York in the spring. Because the fall already is a wait list, we started registering for the spring already. And then Richmond, Virginia. You can check all that out on our website. And then, okay, here's really the last thing. When I announced on Facebook that we're moving, the outpour of love and support that I received just floored me. I was deeply, deeply humbled. 
And so I'm just pulling a few from that, some, some quotes from that page. And I just want to share it really. It's not about bragging. It's more, I'm just so honored and touched that the community, even years past their time with me still holds a special place. So I'm really excited. I want, this is from Rachel Ford. She says, Deb, PYC will forever hold a special place in my heart. What I learned from you and the other instructors set the tone for my pregnancies and just generally got me off on a, such a solid footing on this crazy parenting journey. Thank you, Rachel. I remember having you in class and you are a delight. And I remember seeing you on the Upper West Side. Now that I don't live there, I don't see you, but it's great seeing you on Facebook and and I'm really touched that PYC meant so much to you and you meant so much to me. So thank you. Okay, I jabbered enough. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk with Jesse. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Today, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Greg Rubenstein of 57th Street Chiropractic, conveniently located in Midtown Manhattan for 28 years and an established practice with emphasis on pre- and postnatal care. He's also experienced working with newborns, infants, and children. Dr. Rubenstein shares our yogi and midwifery philosophy of the importance of the mind-body connection. Research supports that chiropractic care during pregnancy may result in safer and easier delivery for both the birthing person and the baby, decreasing likelihood and the need for interventions like epidural, pitocin, and cesarean birth. Proper preparation for birth should always include some form of safe exercise and prenatal-specific chiropractic care. Aside from less pain during pregnancy and faster and safer births, chiropractic care can bring the expectant person a greater sense of confidence and trust in their body's ability to function normally during pregnancy and birth. So if you already have lower back pain or neck pain or round ligament pain or just want to stack the deck in your favor for an easier birth, call 57th Street Chiropractic today, 212-977-977. 7094 or check them out at www.chiropractormidtown.com and schedule online and don't forget to tell them PYC sent you. Hi Jesse, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm really glad that you reached out because I looked at your stuff. I looked on your website and the work you do is really fantastic and so I'm I'm really excited to chat with you. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, absolutely. So I guess let's just jump in to tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Uh, So I'm the mom of two kids. That seems to be like the first and foremost (laughs) job these days. Um, And I'm also a doula and a life coach. Um, And I also lead wilderness quests and pregnancy retreats. And 
If that sounds like a crazy mishmash of things, uh, what I like to think of as the undercurrent to the work that I do is supporting women through rites of passage and really helping them to connect to who they are as women um, and to their greatest power and strength. Totally quick question. Um, As I read your stuff and I listened to you talk, did you ever study birthing from within or is just... There's a lot of similarities in, in words I'm hearing because I started studying that yes. and doing their did yeah because I'm doing their mentorship right now yeah and I'm like yes, oh I recognize was... <laughs> the same verbiage exactly yes I had kind of noticed that in in uh, in your own journey and yes I did um I I can't remember it maybe it was like seven or possibly eight years ago now I did um, the birth story medicine training and yeah and then I um later on trained with a mentor more extensively around birth story healing and integration. So I've done a little bit of that work. Yeah. I feel like since I've, I started diving into that methodology, my ears pick up or like my little antennas go off and I'm like, Ooh, I recognize something there. So that's exciting. I think that I'm sure that will um, come into our conversation. So I guess let's talk a little bit about what was your transition into parenthood and did that inspire you and your work? Mm, Yeah. So interestingly, I had been a doula already for four years before I got pregnant with my first child. So I had this really fascinating glimpse into the world of birth and early motherhood. Um, And I, you know, I actually had a lot of ambivalence about having children in the first place. And so, in fact, before I even got pregnant, I approached the woman who would who would become my doula and now my mentor and one of my closest friends. Um, and I sat down with her and I, and I wanted to know, like, how do I know that this is a good idea? And so I, I felt like the transition really started for me before I even got pregnant. Um, maybe I was just hyper aware having been in, in birth practice for four years, hyper aware of, of what that transition might mean for me. And so I feel like it started then and, and I did get pregnant shortly thereafter. And, um, and again, I think, you know, a lot of the women that I work with in my birth practice, I, I feel like we tend to focus on the birth as the big event and not necessarily on a lot of what comes after beyond maybe the logistics of how to change diapers and things like that. Um, but I was very much ensconced in this idea of who am I going to become? What is going to happen to me as an individual now that I'm a mother? Um, and I did a lot of that kind of personal work. And so when I, when I had my daughter, um, I feel like I, I had kind of begun that process, but it really unfolded for many years after that in this sort of identity shift from being, um, you know, a a woman who was not yet a mother to a woman who was a mother, um, and a whole bunch of other things, but a mother. And so, you know, it was rocky at times for sure, but it really made me appreciate, um, you know, everything, the full scope of what it is to transition into motherhood over and above what I think we typically tend to talk about. So can you talk a little bit about the work that you do with new parents and then also some of the, the struggles, like the biggest changes and struggles that you see as a theme? Mm, 
Yeah, yeah. So I am still doing birth work. Um, and I also run, so I, I do um, pregnancy retreats also, which focus much more on that kind of identity shift that, you know, some th- the stuff we don't talk about, you know, um, pre or pre, um, prenatally. And then postnatally, I work with women um, in a program called Mother Shift, which really, again, focuses on that identity transformation. Yeah, I want to dig into that. That's something. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what the work looks like. And I would say, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of struggles. I would, I, from my perspective, we have this kind of fascinating constellation of um, circumstances right now in our culture that make uh, new parenthood extremely challenging and just really different from what our mothers and grandmothers experienced themselves. Um, Can you identify what you're seeing specifically? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I would say, you know, we talk about the loss of the village, um, Mm -hmm. the fact that we sort of don't, aren't connected in community in the same way as we once were. Um, Technology is is really, it's a fascinating kind of double-edged sword where in some ways it helps us to connect to that village and in other ways, um, I see it both as a as a space where mothers are kind of comparing themselves and you know comparing their insides to other people's outsides when it comes to motherhood um and and where it's a place where we often get a lot of our information so we kind of outsource our intuition oftentimes to Google and to that kind of those kind of information sources so I think technology like has a kind of a number of different influences on our motherhood now um there's so many I think also our birth practices. I mean, I don't think we can ignore the fact that, um, a great majority of women are having some pretty challenging and often traumatic birth experiences due to the medicalization of our birthing process. And that's something that's really different in the last hundred years than it, you know, was previous to that. And so I think that's quite dramatically shifted the way that we then navigate the postpartum period. And we know from the work of people like Dr. Sarah Buckley that there's hormonal impacts of um, some of those birth interventions that we're now just realizing have a a powerful impact in the postpartum period Um, and with many women's experience of postpartum mood disorders that we're just kind of... um, you know, touching on now and beginning to understand. And so the lay of the land as it relates to this early postpartum period is, has changed dramatically. And I'm not, I don't think we've caught up with it. I think, um, that I just have so much empathy for new mothers, um, right now at this particular time in history, because I think we're, we're managing a lot and there's, there's a, you know, a great number of factors that are making it, I think, more challenging to transition into motherhood. Um, I guess another one that I do want to bring up too, is just the idea that, and depending on where you live in the world, um, the, that balance between our work lives and our motherhood and, you know, in some countries in the world, there's there's very limited maternity leave. And so a lot of women are um, finding themselves having to go back to work. But even, um, you know, I live in Canada. We've got a year long, sometimes more of maternity leave. It's brilliant. It's amazing. And at the same time, a lot of women, uh, because we just live in a culture 
that is very fast paced, um, very kind of productivity oriented, but this slowing down, I call it the big slowdown of new motherhood, um, really shakes us to our core. So we're not only asking ourselves, who am I now that I'm a mother, but who am I now that I'm not a kind of quote unquote productive member of society? And I'm kind of putting that in big air quotes, but, um, you know, when you're again, big air quotes, just maybe breastfeeding a baby all day and all night, you know, we don't see that, um, as, as being as valuable or as productive in society. And so it can make us really uncomfortable. Who am I when I'm not hustling? Um, and so I think that is a huge thing for a lot of mamas too. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just did a podcast a few days ago with a woman, um, Kelly Sunrise, and she and I were talking about the difference. Our births were very similar. Both of us had really challenging first births and rather quick second births, and both of us were a little bit curry. <laughs> I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. A little overdoing it on life in the first one, like, I can do this. I'm Just because I'm pregnant, I don't have to slow down. And both jumped way into um, postpartum too quickly, and both of us the second time realized the slowdown was necessary. And I see that, and I highlight this just because I had a conversation with her, but I see that as a trend with a lot of people I speak with that first time parents, maybe it's because the doors haven't been opened yet, um, or, or maybe whatever the people I've spoken with, we tend just to do too much. And then the second time we've learned from our, our errors. And I wonder if that's because we didn't have the village to see that beforehand. So if we saw our you know, our friends and our family really in that close knit needing to slow down, we would have done that the first time instead of have to live the repercussions to realize it the second time. Because even I feel like when my friends were going that through that, or like you said, on social media, it's sometimes a little shiny and new. It's a little bit glossed over. Like we don't really get in the thick of it because we're not living quite as tightly. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, that happened to me as, as well. I, I, really, <laughs> I really struggled with the slowdown for my first babe. And my second was like, you learn. <laughs> There's a world out there. What? Um, it's true. And I think, interestingly, though, um, it, yes, I think it might be the community. But in my also in my years of teaching prenatal classes, I think um, the the sort of dominant narratives there are uh, no one told me it was going to be like this. And also it's not going to be like this for me. Oh, yeah. 
I'm so guilty of that. I'm so guilty. Ditto. And I catch myself saying, and I catch myself like, Deb, why, why do you think you're the exception? I literally in my head, why do you think you're the exception? But I think you're absolutely right. So you might appreciate this in my prenatal classes. And I've actually had to pull back a little. I've, I do try to tell them, I'm like, you know, prepare for a struggle. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Just prepare for a struggle. And I had one student after class, she's like, that scares me. And I'm like, that's okay. That's okay. You can, you can go in a little scared because it keeps you sharp. I don't know if I said the right thing at that, but I try to pull the veil back a little, but some people want to keep it thick because it's so unknown. The whole thing is such a, a ride, such a scary ride. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's very difficult to convey to a new, to an expectant parent, especially for the, like expectant for the first time, um, you know, what it's really like. I think, I feel like I did that. I, you know, I used to reflect at the end of my prenatal classes, like, I feel like I did a lot of warning in there. Um, but I, but it's true. I think it, like it, it helps to, I think what, what it helps to kind of speak words to the experiences that are likely to happen or could happen so that people, you know, just as you said, like it's normalized, like it's okay to feel this way. Um, because I think another thing that's kind of, you know, shifted, I think, um, and I think this has to do with the lack of the village in our postpartum period is that we've pathologized a lot of, um, what the postpartum experience is actually just meant to be like, um, you know, and, and clearly there are, you know, people who experience postpartum mood disorders and that is, that is a thing in and of itself. But I think we also, you know, we look at a woman who has slowed down significantly, who's, you know, not leaving the house, but it has more to do with, you know, recovery or just laying low and learning how to breastfeed her baby. And, and we get kind of overly worried that there's something wrong with her because she's not back in the world yet. Um, and so I think we actually kind of walk this interesting line between over pathologizing, uh, what are very, very natural, normal parts of the postpartum process. I a hundred percent agree. So let's talk a little bit about how you see the different stages of embodying this shift into motherhood. Cause it is, it's more than just giving birth, the physiology, there's just, it's so rich and thick. So do you mind jumping into that? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So I use a, what I, you know, kind of think of as a rites of passage approach to this transition. And a lot of um, people, when they talk about a rite of passage into motherhood, they think of birth as being the rite of passage. Um, and yeah, the, in the birthing from within kind of um, methodology, like birth itself is the rite of passage. And it certainly is. Um, and I, I think of the birth as a little bit more of just the initiation. Um, and that there's a whole entire rite of passage that kind of continues into the postpartum period. Um, one of the most important pieces of advice I ever got from my mentor and doula was that the transition to motherhood takes two to three years. And, you know, that when, when I say that to women, it's just this, there's, I think there's this sense of deep permission. There was for me permission to kind of screw it all up, um, to sometimes not feel like you're a mother yet, 
to not fully embody this role. Um, and I think that's okay. You know, we talk about like six weeks postpartum is meant to be your healing period and then six months postpartum and you're meant to kind of have this figured out. Um, <laughs> my child turns eight that, today and I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> oh, that is, yeah, yeah, totally. I really do. And I think that there's, there's a number of kind of layers of fog or veils that I think women sort of, um, come out of at various points in the postpartum period. But I really do think it takes two to three years. And I think, so in, when I'm teaching mother shift, one of the first things that we do, one of the first stages is really just orienting yourself to the change that's happened in your life. And so understanding that this is a two to three year process and, um, and kind of noticing in the beginning, what has changed, what has changed about your relationships, either your intimate relationships or, um, relationships with our, our parental figures tend to shift quite significantly with friends and family and community. Um, the, a lot of our values start to shift, I think in early motherhood. So, you know, it's not just about becoming a mother and having those kind of responsibilities and, and, and that shift to your life. But oftentimes I know this happened for me and I see this over and over again with women that, you know, all of a sudden the career that they were sort of, you know, okay with before having a baby now all of a sudden becomes an unacceptable way to spend her time, (laughs) you know, and, and there's a real shift there. A lot of women unleash this creativity that, um, they've never, you know, kind of witnessed in themselves before in the early postpartum. So, so just kind of getting the lay of the land, what's happening in my body, what's happening to my sense of self. Um, and I think when we do that, the next phase of that is, is a stage of loss and letting go and release and grief. Um, and I think that's a really uh, overlooked part of the transition to motherhood. And why I think deeper into that one, that yeah. one when I was looking at your um, kind of the eight gates of transition, that one really jumped out at me. Yeah. Can you talk about, I think a lot of people struggle with that one. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. And so really, I mean, anytime that we're transitioning into a new sense of self, a new identity of which motherhood is sort of one of the biggest, most profound examples that I think we can possibly go through. Um, there's a, there's a necessary letting go of the woman you once were. Um, that may be sort of an identity thing, but also, you know, oftentimes, I think maybe most of the time we have to let go of sort of the trappings of who we are, you know, even just like being able to drink a hot cup of coffee and do the crossword in the morning. Like there's a, there's sort of many, many layers of this letting go. And I think that we just don't, as a culture, maybe don't give women permission to actually grieve that. Um, and I don't know about you, but yeah, I'm also seven years in, um, and my little guy's four and there are plenty of days still where I, you know, just wish I could, you know, go to the bathroom by myself, (laughs) take a shower by yourself. No, it's so true because each stage has its new, 
you know, uh, set of problems that you learn about. Just when you think you got it figured out, you're like, oh, now we're dealing with this. And I don't think that ever goes away. I think that's from literally birth. Like, I remember the first time I'm like, I figured out how to get him down for a nap. We got this. And then like three weeks later, it changes. So I think one of the things about motherhood is it just keeps you in that malleable state. And I think that's actually, for me, <laughs> who's a little type A, um, it's been a really good lesson to learn to be a little bit more present and okay with fluctuation because yeah. I prefer, um, a solid foundation of expectation. Like I know what to expect, but kids really have taught me, um, that's just not, you know, I have to ride the waves, not push them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think there's like, there's, there's just, yeah, so many layers of that letting go of, you know, letting go of our expectations of what motherhood might look like, um, you know, letting go even of, you know, what, you know, I talked about briefly changes to your relationships, um, letting go of what that looks like. Um, I think a lot of women that I work with have challenging relationships with their mothers in the postpartum period. Um, yeah. And mothers-in-law and, and that's something that's interestingly, like we don't actually talk about very much at all. Um, but there sometimes needs to be a letting go of what we expected in that relationship. So there's so many different layers of, of release of it, like just deep permission to grieve it, to like feel that, Mm -hmm. um, and that that's okay. I think, you know, we, we kind of, um, do women a big disservice by, um, assuming that birth and motherhood is this kind of one tone joyous, um, yeah, maybe a little messy and yeah, maybe you're a little sleep deprived, but joyous event. And I think that that just doesn't really reflect many women's complete realities. Yeah. We were talking actually in yesterday's postnatal class, um, it was a nice full group of women. And, and part of it is it's definitely, it's, it's an hour and a half class and I have to hone them in, in the first 10, 15 minutes. I want them to connect and communicate and mm-hmm. then to hone them in. But one of the themes that came up was that one mom was just saying, she's like, I love my child, but sometimes I really don't love being a mom. And she's in the thick of it. Like this is the first, I think her child's maybe three and a half months. So she's really still figuring, you know, the next step out. And it just opened this floodgate of other people saying, Oh my God, I'm so glad you said that because I feel like there's this expectation that I have to be rainbow and sunshine and look how great this baby is. Look how great my life is when sometimes, you know, it's just really hard and you don't have to like it. Yeah. Do you find that with your, with your clients as well? Absolutely. And I also think, um, you know, hearkening back to the earlier part of our conversation, we talked about that really our culture and the sort of surroundings of each woman in motherhood are just not set up for our success, full stop. And yet I think a lot of us are still really owning um, and kind of, you know, feeling shameful about the fact that uh, it's hard <laughs> and that, right, which is, just seems like fundamentally problematic, um, even from a feminist perspective, like here we are saying, this is how motherhood should look like, let's, let's be all Instagrammable here. (laughs) And, and, but we're also going to, to, you know, not support you in any way, really in so many ways, like lack of community, challenging birth processes for so many women, like all of these kind of things that make it challenging, Um, and yet the expectation is that it's supposed to be, or it's supposed to look 
easy and I don't think it's ever been harder. Um, and I think, so I think it's just to acknowledge that, like if you're ambivalent about motherhood, that would be a pretty darn normal reaction given what most of us experience as new mothers. I completely agree. All right. Keep going with your eight specific areas. Cause I like this. So, all right. So the eight specific areas of mothership. So what have we covered so far? So we've, we've talked about kind of transitioning to motherhood and, and, you know, doing this kind of what I call a fearless and searching inventory of what has changed. Mm -hmm. What does life look like right now for you now that you're a mother? Um, and really taking stock of those, those shifts that have happened. Um, and then the release and, Mm -hmm. and and grieving process. Um, and, and in the rates of passage approach, what follows release is, is not this magical shift into the new way of being, but in fact, a liminal period. So a time of, you know, not that anymore, not, uh, you know, a woman who's not a mother anymore, but not this yet, not quite a mother yet. So there's this kind of, um, liminal period where you're not one or the other necessarily. Um, And it's a really, it's, it's kind of, it's filled with tension in a lot of ways. It feels very uncomfortable, very similar. It sounds like to what the woman in your class experienced, this kind of sense of being pulled in both directions, a sense of ambivalence about motherhood. Um, it's, and because it's so uncomfortable, a lot of us kind of seek to bypass it. Um, but what I think can be really powerful about the liminal period is that, it gives us a chance to go inward. Um, and this in mother shift is where I teach about, um, self tending and the value of rest. And when I say self tending, I I mean it to be a little bit different than self care. I feel like self tending comes about 50 steps before self care. And we kind of typically think of self care as being like pedicures and massage. Yeah. Yeah, which incidentally and interestingly, um, a lot of what in our society we we conceptualize as self-care for new mothers actually requires the separation of mother and baby, mm. um, which isn't often in the best interest of either. Um, it sounds like a really great thing, you know, oh yeah, we'll go get a pedicure. But oftentimes, especially in that very, very early motherhood, um, it can actually, especially if a woman is breastfeeding, can actually heighten anxiety on everyone's part. So self-care, quote unquote, in, in the way that we typically tend to do it as a society, doesn't necessarily work um, in in that kind of early, early period. So self-tending is really about learning to meet your own needs. And when I'm teaching this, I joke that, you know, a great many women don't pee when they need to pee. Um, <laughs> right. Everybody kind of laughs at that one because it's, we, it's all, it's true. It's true. Right? Or eat. It's so eat. true. Or eat. Or that drink. was my biggest thing is that yeah. I, not that I forgot to eat. It's not like I was like, Oh, look, lunch happened. and I didn't have it. It's just, I was so focused, especially with my first on all, like all my energy on him and getting him to nap and feeding him and then getting outside, I would literally be like, okay, this glass of milk counts as a meal. Okay. We're going to check it off. I had lunch. Like that's not good. Like how does one nurture themselves who's giving their body to their child if they don't even feed themselves? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, and so that's, that's where kind of that meeting of the, of, of the needs. And I think it requires us first and foremost. So I I usually start with those very physiological needs like peeing when you need to pee, because most of us can 
tap into those fairly easily. But, you know, talking about this whole, like the influence of technology, so many of us are kind of living very disembodied. And that continues for a lot of us in early motherhood. And so um, we may actually really have physiological needs that we can't recognize. So it starts there. Um, and there's this beautiful thing that happens in this process that when you identify a need, um, and then the next step is to validate that need, like it's okay to go pee. It's okay to like leave my baby, you know, in a safe place to like pee for 30 seconds. That is okay. Validated. And then to meet that need. Um, and when we start to kind of do that, it's like a muscle that we build and build and build. And then we can start to meet more complex needs, like our emotional needs. Like I feel sad. It's okay to feel sad. I need to cry or go for a run or talk to someone. Um, so this is a beautiful place to be in when you're going through this liminal period is really getting down to the basics. What are my needs? How can I meet them? Um, because the next step is about who am I now? And arguably, if you don't know when you need to pee and, and pee when you need to pee, it's hard to know who you are now as a woman, right? So, so that's kind of what we move into next is, is you're changing identity and really exploring. And it's kind of fun, or at least I, I teach it in a way that I think is fun exploring, you know, what matters to you now that you are a mother? What is, you know, what piques your curiosity now? Not just in regards to, you know, strictly your motherhood, but in life in general. Um, and what would you like to see shift? And there's a practice that I do with women during this phase and we write a, what I call a mama festo. So, and that was something that I had done in my early prenatal or postnatal period with my daughter as well, my eldest, um, to write a mama festo to sort of state who are you now that you're a mother and a woman who happens to be a mother. Um, and then I invite women into, uh, what I call the gifts of motherhood. So, you know, we kind of, you know, assume that those gifts of motherhood are like sweet, milky smiles and, you know, <laughs> kind of those things that are associated um, fully with the experience of having a small baby in your life. But there's also um, gifts that we can recognize and develop as new mothers that are just for us in a way. Um, one of them is embodiment. So, um, you know, new motherhood comes with it, it's fascinating, right? Because our bodies do this perfect thing oftentimes um, and and make these humans and nourish these humans if that's kind of the process that we've gone through to become a mother. Um, and yet at the same time, it can also change our bodies in a way that, that you know, can make it hard to be embodied because we feel and look different. Can, that, can we... Um, Dip into that. Do you mind if I interrupt? Because um, I'm really, that's something that when I was reading about your work, it's not just the mother shift. I know you've done other stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I work a lot with new parents, especially on like you know, the physical level through reestablishing a connection to one's relationship with their body through yoga. And I'm noticing it's difficult for a lot of people. It could be from mm -hmm. a traumatic birth. It could be a physical issue like pelvic floor or core dysfunction or just feeling weak. And I know that your work is deeply invested in finding peace and acceptance with one's body. I know you wrote a book on that as well. So what are some of the ways, because this is really kind of your wheelhouse, 
that you help support new parents to attune and embody this new postpartum body, which is physically mm-hmm. feeling different, looks different, has a different place. You're not quite pregnant. You're not quite um, in that post. Like, how do you help the parent get there? Yeah, yeah. I would say that the it it you know it starts with that self tending practice of that ability to kind of tune into what's happening below your neck and <laughs> and start to right. So like, let's not even go there about you know how different your body looks and how your clothes fit and and things like that. Let's just talk about you know drinking water when you're thirsty um, and and kind of reuniting yourself with your body. And the the beautiful thing about, about motherhood is often for most women, I would say right from the moment they become pregnant, it's, it's, it almost jerks you into embodiment, right? If you're experiencing any kind of nausea or anything, any of the sort of, um, typical things that, that happen when you're newly pregnant. Um, and so that's why I think this is like a, a pregnancy and new motherhood is like a window or a doorway, I guess, into embodiment. Um, and it's true. Yeah. At the same time, our bodies become less societally acceptable in the process. And so, you know, this is where I think it's really important to have conversations about, um, about what body love or what um, acceptance or respect actually looks like for a new parent. Um, And to be really clear and honest about kind of the cultural influences and impacts on us. You know, we see a lot of the, you know, get your pre-baby body back. Um, And just like you're not supposed to kind of, um, be the woman you were before you had that baby. Like we're talking about an identity shift. You can't go back. Your body is probably not going to do that either, (laughs) you know, and yet we have this, this expectation that it will. And so I guess, I guess that word expectations is kind of, that's the conversation I think we need to have a little bit more of is what to expect, um, of your body and to, to start nurturing a sense of respect, for what your body has done and is doing by birthing and nourishing your child and like what that looks like in an actionable way. So again, peeing when you need to pee and drinking water when you need to drink water and doing things that feel nourishing and joyful when it comes to movement and, and nutrition and things like that. I think we need to be really careful about, um, um, using diet culture to kind of, you know, encourage women to like change their bodies or become who they were before they had babies. I think that's a really slippery slope and a dangerous place where a lot of women fall in that early postpartum period because we're so vulnerable. So I think it helps to open up the conversation and see this as a doorway into a relationship with your body that is really different than what it has ever been before. Yeah. I remember my midwife telling me, she's like, the landscape of your pelvis is forever changed. And like, it really is. And then I took some pride as much. I had, I had a fair amount of pelvic floor issues. So I took a lot of work with that, but then I also took pride in what my body was capable of doing. I'm like, wow, I did that. My body created that. And that helped me with the 
with the like, oh, I have these stretch marks now. Like I was able to, it took time and it took a lot of talking in my own brain about this, but yeah. accept that as like, you wouldn't, I wouldn't have this person, this child, if, you know, I had to go through that to get there. And it didn't mean that I didn't lament those stretch marks and <laughs> sometimes still do, but I was able to slowly find that path of appreciation for what my body was capable of doing. And I'm, I try to sprinkle that into class, but it's, it's hard. It's really hard to see the aftermath sometimes and learn to embrace it. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think if there's anything that I, that I kind of try to teach women and, and, you know, probably most of the subject of my, my book uh, called project body love is really around self-compassion and, and recognizing, like I mentioned earlier, like being very clear about the sort of societal impacts and expectations that are at play. And that, you know, there is a certain element of being able to say and the permission to say, this is not about you. There's nothing wrong with your body. If you are feeling um, kind of disoriented or less than appreciative of your body, that is challenging um, because we live in a culture that doesn't really love postpartum bodies, kind of full stop. Disoriented, that word really, when you said it, I'm like, bing, that is so spot on. It's yeah. not that one may not be like, Oh, you know, I, I, I still have the pregnant belly. I remember being a few weeks postpartum at the farmer's market and someone I was holding, I mean, literally it was like three weeks later and I was holding my little one and I could see a man look confused because I still had that belly, you know, like that little pregnant belly doesn't go away immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a confusion, but it was, it was like to the pregnant person to how I remember the postpartum person, I literally felt disoriented. Like my clothes didn't, I was, I had a brissa at that point. Like I just felt disoriented and didn't almost know how to move. So, yeah. you know, during pregnancy, it takes, you know, 40 ish weeks to establish this new body and postpartum happens very quickly. And all of a sudden the, the shift of, um, center of gravity's changed, the spine's less stable, disorienting. That is the perfect word for that experience. Yes, it is. I remember when I, as I was writing about my postpartum experience in my book, it was, I had talked about feeling like not feeling like I was living in my own skin anymore. Like I just, you know, there was a whole new landscape, literally like, yeah, you mentioned the stretch marks and like the way that my hips felt and it was, yeah, very. And I think we all kind of have that experience to some extent. And as you said, like, you know, it takes us 40 weeks to you know, grow this baby. It needs to take at least 40 weeks for our body to start to feel a little bit like, I, I won't even say like our body again, cause it's not, it is permanently Just at changed, home like, in this new body. To, yeah. To get to know it a little bit. Right. Um, and at a minimum, I think that's another <laughs> 40 week process. It is certainly not, you know, six weeks to your, <laughs> so you're like, bang, I'm back. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Fitting into your like pre-maternity jeans or whatever. I don't even know. <laughs> Those are in a trash pile long, <laughs> long ago for me. Yeah. So let's keep going on the gates. Did we, uh, I think there's a couple left still. Yeah, there is. Yeah. So the gifts of motherhood. So we talked about embodiment and one of the other gifts of motherhood that I teach is around inner knowing or intuition. And I think this is like a superpower that new mothers all mothers have that I just want to honor. Like, I think that's the thing with these gifts is that it's, it's a chance to honor 
the things that you receive when, you know, as a part of this initiation into motherhood, it's not all a giving up. There's actually a number of superpowers that you, that you obtain in the process. And so, so I teach women how to kind of tap into that inner knowing and, and sort of magnify the experience that they're already having with, um, you know, like knowing, say, what, what kind of cry that particular cry is and what their baby needs and magnifying that to be able to use their intuition in other ways as well. Um, and then the final gate is really about, uh, you know, when we talk about rites of passage, once we've gone through this kind of period of, um, of grieving and release, and then this kind of exploring what is true now, um, there's a reintegration and, and, uh, back into kind of society, I guess. I mean, it's metaphorical more than anything, because of course, at that point we would have probably completely reintegrated into our lives, but there's this sense of, um, being able to take what you learned and bring it to your community and to find community again. Um, as we talked about earlier, that might look really different now than it did prenatally. I think a lot of us, um, I think we talk about this in birth story healing and integration. You know, we have a, a real reckoning in a lot of our relationships, noticing who shows up and who doesn't um, and who we now relate to and who we don't. And so I think navigating that, um, finding community and also um, the skill of being in community. And that's another thing that I think if we talk about the things that have changed in the last hundred years or more, um, is not just that we don't necessarily have as many connections or as close connections as we used to with the people around us, but in fact, we've lost the ability to really communicate well with people. So, you know, on average, our conversations don't involve a lot of listening, I would say. We tend to kind of, you know, we don't hold space well, I think, generally as a population. Um, and, and it, you know, a lot of us aren't even having real one-on-one face-to-face conversations with people. So there's actually teaching of the skills of holding space for yourself and for others that I think is really important in this process. So um, and really. As I say, I know a lot of the work you do is online. How do you help foster community since it's online? Or is this more like you're speaking to the your group and then you invite them to do that within the face-to-face of their community? Yeah, it's kind of both. And it's, it's, uh, it's once again, this double-edged sword of, you know, it's, I wouldn't be able to offer this program to as many women if I weren't doing it online. Um, but yeah, so it's it's building up those skills and supporting women to take those back into their own communities. And and also I think like having that sense of who you are now as mother helps you to find the people that you're going to connect best with. Um, but we do actually it's kind of cool. Like in in the past iterations of Mother Shift that I've run, um, these women really actually do create a little community because we spent 12 weeks together every week. And there's, there's multiple weeks where we're not actually, you know, I don't actually teach anything. It's just us holding space for each other and, um, and, and hearing each other and hearing each other's experience. So many of these women actually go on to continue to have beautiful friendships. And that's the beauty of technology in a way is that it can connect us with people. And I find it's interesting with a lot of my programs, I do offer them in person and mothership. I'm quite firm that I really want it to be online because 
you can show up however you are. You don't have to get out of the house. And I think that that actually is of great benefit in many ways to new mamas. So there is this kind of balance between um, that kind of face-to-face in-person interaction and just interacting at all. And if doing that online is easier, then my goodness, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I did, yeah. um, I did a new mom support group. That's one of the things my studio offers. We've really, really worked to foster uh, community and relationships, especially in a place like New York where people really mesh together. Like there's, you know, there's definitely a handful of like born, born, true tried, uh, pride New Yorkers, but a lot of us just kind of plopped ourselves there. So we don't have the family. So community is mm-hmm. big. But one of the things I did when my son was 10 weeks was I joined the new mom support group and it was led by a licensed social worker. And I'm still friends, some of my closest friends with those women, because we really went through the trenches together and yeah. it really gave us this bond. And some of the people, um, our paths may have not crossed otherwise, but yeah, there's something about finding that support, whether it's online or in person, but finding that lifeline. Um, I think it's vital and it's unfortunate that it's great that you offer it online because there might be situations where people can't or that, you know, they don't, they're living in a more rural area or what the case may be. They can't get out. Maybe they have several kids and they, Uh you know, so I just find where, however you can, one needs to be heard and seen and acknowledged and, and, and connect. So I'm glad that you're doing that and always. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important. Yeah. Is there anything else before we take a quick break? Is there anything else that I didn't cover about this shift <laughs> into motherhood? I feel like we went there, but I want to make sure. <laughs> I know. Right. It, I feel like there's so much we could talk about, but um, but yeah, I think that's a great kind of overview and hopefully that opens up a few, um, ideas and concepts for the people listening to kind of maybe play with and hopefully feel a little less, um, alone, maybe know that their process is totally normal because I think a lot of these things are just things we don't name. Yeah. And I think it's great that you broke it down, that it's not an overnight occurrence, that it is a process like, like in birth mm-hmm. and when you talk about the, you know, the, the going in the birth and the labyrinth and coming out and really yeah. honoring the stages and steps of coming out that each one needs to be passed through. You can't jump over it. You have to go through the mud and that, that's yeah. hard. That's really hard to mm-hmm. face that there is, you know, it's not just going to be, I flip the switch and there I am. Like you have to get through it. All right. We're going to yeah. take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you for one piece of advice or tip you'd like to offer for new or expectant parents. This is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Okay, we're back. So what is that one piece of advice or tip you'd like to offer for new and expectant parents? I feel like I just want to say that what you're experiencing is probably normal. 
I think. And I think normal can be a really powerful word, actually. You know, a lot of us um, kind of say, well, there's a, you know, there is no normal or this is the new normal, but I think it is actually really powerful. We just want to feel like we belong, like we're okay. And I just want to kind of hopefully offer parents the permission, you know, if you are feeling ambivalent, um, or feeling grief about new motherhood, then that is normal. And that is okay. If you're three years in and you still don't feel like you embody motherhood, that's also really normal. And that is okay. And if you're feeling really different about the other parts of your life, not just this um, you know, specific to your motherhood, but if you're feeling different about your career or your relationship or your, your relationship with your parents or your community, all of these other things, that is also normal. It's all part of it. And this is a huge transition. This is not just a bunch of changes to your behaviors, like learning how to change diapers or make really strong coffee. This is, you know, this is about a change to your identity. You're becoming a new person. And that is a tremendously both rewarding and kind of gritty process. And, you know, as you said earlier, um, you can't bypass it. We're going to go through it. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we feel like we're going through it together. I like that. And I like that you're normalizing it. But I do want to just point out that there's normal and, you know, and there's a common experience, but just for listeners also don't be afraid to reach out if you feel like you're overwhelmed. Cause I just don't want anyone to be like, Oh, I'm feeling so overwhelmed, but they said it's normal. Like that's why we have support around us. And especially in the New York area, I don't know if you've heard of the motherhood center, but we're lucky to have that. So yeah, these, these gates are very important to go through, but please listeners also know that um, if you need help, please don't be shy about getting help. I hope you don't mind me jumping on your toes about that. Oh, <laughs> that one. No. And I think, I think like we can say also that like having those challenges is, is it can be part of it. Right. And yeah. like, that's okay too. So I think when I say normal, it's like, and also like, it's, it's totally okay to ask for support. Like, yeah, let's not have shame about it. If it's, if it's challenging. Yeah. Um, and thank you for so accepting me jumping on your like, toes on that. <laughs> oh my God. No, not at all. I think we're totally on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people find your work? Yeah. So, um, my website is www.jessieherald.com. That's J E S S I E H A R R O L D.com. And, um, so I, I post weekly there. Um, I'm kind of a writer at heart really. So I post, um, blogs there and people can sign up for my newsletter if they just want to receive those right into their inbox. And then I like to hang out on Instagram at jesse.es.herald. Um, so that's kind of like the place where people can kind of hang out and chat and, um, yeah, it'd be great to, you know, have people reach out and connect and just kind of continue to open up this conversation. Yeah. And all that will make sure it's in our show notes. So those that pop over to prenatalyogacenter.com, if you're interested in, um, mother shift or interested in uh, Jesse's writing, which I've actually perused in the blog. She's a very good writer. Um, I have been intrigued by your pregnancy retreats. I've thought of that, but I'm like, Oh my God, how yeah. I can get a group of pregnant women together <laughs> out and about in the world. So oh, yeah, yeah I think you do good stuff. Yeah, well, I wanted thing. to yeah. thank you for all the work that you do and that you put out and really for your time today. Thank you so very much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Or enjoy your day. Thanks. You too. 
This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.